tuning into the short sex. I'm Lisa Pintero, young adult librarian. And I'm Nick Barron, patron and sometimes volunteer. This is the show where we talk to you about what we've been reading, listening to, or watching. But first, library news. So we've got a few events coming up here at the end of May. On the 24th, which is Monday, we have our Tinker Lab kits to go. And they're going to be a mystery bag. It's a, a mix of a bunch of different Tinker Labs that we've done in the past. So there's like a book hedgehog and there is uh, make your own battery and there is a coding one. So there's going to be a variety of them and you'll get whatever you end up getting. Um, so it's a surprise. And then on Tuesday, the 25th, we have Rhyme Time Tuesday in the morning with Miss Heidi. And on Wednesday, we have Art Cart to Go. On June 1st, we'll be starting our summer reading program for the youth and young adult patrons. And so you can sign up for that on Beanstack and the link to the sign up is on our website for both programs. And you can either do it online like last year or you can do it on paper uh, if you prefer and that you would have to come into the library to sign up for it. Um, and then Nick and I are actually taking a hiatus for the summer because we are getting a new librarian starting in June, and we are also getting some new clerks because uh, some of our clerks are moving on. They've graduated from school and, you know, moving on to bigger and better things, and so a lot of staff staff updates. What's better than the library? <laughs> well, one of them actually is somebody who was going to library school to become a librarian, so he is now going to become a librarian back in his hometown. I believe he's originally from, like, out west, like, uh, Portland area, so. Very good. So, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's exciting times for people, but, um, so Nick and I will be taking a break uh, until probably around Labor Day. So September we'll be back with more content. But uh, for now, this will be our last episode of season one. Yeah, think of this as the end of season one. <laughs> Can we leave it on a cliffhanger? I don't know. <laughs> All right. So I guess we will go to From the Stack. I have said that the unbroken monotony of the rolling plane was a source of vague horror to me. But I think my horror was greater when I gained the summit of the mound and looked down the other side into the immeasurable pit or canyon, whose black recesses the moon had not yet soared high enough to illumine. I felt myself on the edge of the world, peering over the rim into the fathomless chaos of eternal night. Through my terror ran curious reminiscences. Remin reminiscences. Reminiscences. <laughs> Rem <laughs> reminiscences of paradise life. <laughs> All right, keep going. <laughs> Reminiscences of Paradise Lost and of Satan's hideous climb through the unfashioned realms of darkness. You did it! <laughs> Reminiscences. Thank you. <laughs> uh, um, so, that, so is, that is by a quote attributed to who? H.P. Lovecraft from the story Dagon. And how do you spell that? D-A-G-O-N. Okay. Um, so yeah, so Nick and I are going to be talking a little bit about H.P. Lovecraft because we just finished watching Lovecraft Country. So we're going to talk about um, his influence on, on horror, but also, you know, some of the, the things that are problematic about him because he was a very problematic person. Uh, he was a pro-eugenics and uh, very racist person. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'll let you go into a little bit of the history of, of H.P. Lovecraft. Okay, so... Lovecraft is best known for uh, the birth of what is referred to as cosmic horror. Mm. And so Lovecraft, he wrote a lot about the fragility of anthro... <laughs> words today. It's the okay. fragility of anthropocentrism, <clears throat> um, which is the 
idea that people are the center of the world, that humankind is the center of the world. And he felt that this was a very fragile concept, that the world was uh, much more threatening than that. Mm. Um, so ultimately, he, at the age of seven, had read the Odyssey by Homer, and he had started uh, reimagining the uh, pantheon of gods and writing his own mythos um, or the ideas of, of, of yeah, his own, his own pantheon. Mm -hmm. And by the age of 12, he started writing a scientific journal of, of his own creation, and eventually he ended up writing short stories uh, predominantly for a magazine called Weird Tales. Mm -hmm. uh, he is considered uh, you know, part of a whole group of pulp authors from that era. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he's a, an interesting case. Yeah, a lot of his stories dealt with mental illness, right? Yes. And, and you said that he, or you were telling me that he uh, dealt with a lot of mental illness in his own life, correct? Yes. Yeah, he uh, suffered from uh, what is now referred to as atypical depression. Okay. Uh, and he also got to experience, like, his dad uh, had uh, late-stage syphilis mm -hmm. and uh, was institutionalized and, and died in an institution. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Yeah, because uh, for those who don't know, like, late-stage syphilis can lead to brain injury and, and, and yeah, damage. De deterioration. Yeah, deterioration of the brain. Of the brain and, and so then, yeah, you can basically... Go slowly insane. Yeah, and so so he had a lot of experience with with this, the dark side of life. Yes, the dark side of life, and so um, and he never finished high school. Uh, mm -hmm. He was extremely well read. He was born into affluence, um, but he also, because of that affluence, had the luxury of um, living a relatively comfortable life while at the same time. Uh, yeah, never having never having completed his education, he actually would have mental breakdowns uh, in his school while schooling, mm. and would leave school for long stretches of time. Okay, um, but he never never lost his interest in in learning. Mm. Um, but yeah, so he ultimately, after a while, he ended up writing letters into weird tales mm. and getting into uh, letter debates in the letters column, and it ultimately ended up him becoming an author and editor for Weird Tales. Mm. Yeah, and from, like, I've never really read any of his stuff, but from what I've heard and from, you know, the, the material that I've seen that, that was influenced by his stuff, um, it seems like, you know, his take on mental illness was not, like, a, not the way we look at mental illness now. No, um, no. Yeah, no, he, a lot of, a lot of, um, his writing, the breakdown of the mind comes from two factors. Mm -hmm. One is obsession, mm -hmm. the obsession with with an idea. Uh, a lot of his stories are about investigators that are uh, pursuing a uh, pursuing some forbidden knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, and ultimately, uh, in that pursuit of forbidden knowledge, uh, descending into madness. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it his his writing, some of his writing is very interesting. I, I love some of the language that he uses. Part of the reason why I wanted to read that uh, that piece is mm -hmm. because of uh, words like illumine. Mm -hmm. uh, he uh, also uh, 
throws around words like cyclopean and all, all these mm. very big and unusual words. Mm. And I find it very interesting to listen to. He also influenced Robert E. Howard, who created Conan, and they ended up writing stories in conjunction and building on each other's uh, mythos. Okay. Uh, and so uh, he ended up fostering a whole circle of people that slowly, with because he's focused on short, short stories, they would build on different concepts and built out the Lovecraftian mythos. Mm -hmm. While it, and he also pulled stuff from other authors like Robert Chambers, who uh, uh, wrote The King in Yellow in 1895. So, yeah, and that inspired the first season of True Detective, um, which Nick and I have watched. And I actually have bought a few different books about the Yellow King, and, and I'm curious to read more about that. And maybe that might be something we delve into in a future episode. Yes, um, for sure. Um, but at the same time, for all of the things that he has brought into the world that... Um, engage our imagination. He also, uh, a lot of his work, um, there is racism and xenophobia, and they permeate many of his stories. Mm -hmm. Like, and we're not we're not just talking like casual racism. We're talking like like brutal language, mm -hmm. um, and uh, these elements can be triggering, damaging, and can make his writing intolerable. In mm. fact, the first time that I attempted to to delve into Lovecraft, I got like two or three stories into uh, an audiobook that I got from the Sherwood Library, and I was just like, this is too much. Mm. Like some, some of the things, the way that he talked about people of color, it was just rough. Uh, but after we watched... Lovecraft uh, Country, mm -hmm. uh, which we'll talk about in a minute. After we watched it, I decided to, to give it a second try. Mm -hmm. And I started with, on Hoopla, uh, there were uh, seven Lovecraft stories in 15, mi in 15 minutes or less. Mm -hmm. And so it was a, an hour-long listen, an hour and five minutes. And I got to listen to seven stories, including Dagon, mm -hmm. which I read from poorly. <laughs> uh, but anyways, so I listened to this seven stories in 15 minutes or less. And I found that I enjoyed these particular stories immensely, some of them like Dagon. Mm -hmm. um, but they also were all stories that did not have that... Overt racism. The or, overt yeah. race. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, except for... No, I don't think Reanimator was part of that. Reanimator was part of Necronomicon. So after finishing the that particular audiobook, I was like, okay, now I'm going to try Necronomicon. Mm. which is a, a book of short stories. It's 21 hours of listening mm. um, to listen to it. And uh, like the third chapter or third, third short story that is part of the series of short stories that is a uh, reanimator. It was just, like, Ooh. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's hard. The one good thing that has come of the influence of Lovecraft and the fact that people have built upon his mythos and on his writing as now there are a number of authors that in fact countless authors that have um, continued that tradition of cosmic horror sometimes actually pulling direct influences from Lovecraft mm -hmm. and so um, yeah like N.K. Jameson uh, The City We Became I know I read that earlier this year and there's a lot of Lovecraftian horror a lot of a lot of 
tentacled creatures and, and people going mad and investigation, like you said. Yeah, um, and, and so so people people that you do know, um, like Stephen King or Neil Gaiman, yeah. um, and then a whole host of you know smaller name authors have all added and are coming at things from a way of reimagining Lovecraft's cosmic horror without the racism. Yeah, and so that that brings us to Lovecraft Country. Um, and so Lovecraft Country is a HBO show, and we have it on DVD at the Shorewood Library, and then uh, we also have the book, and uh, it's based on a novel by Matt Ruff. And so we we just finished the first season, and uh, I really enjoyed it. You really enjoyed it, yeah. and it is uh, the first season is created by. I believe her name is Misha Green. Misha Green, and she is a black woman. Um, and it is produced by Jordan Peele of Get Out fame and J.J. Abrams. Um, and it has a cast that is mostly black folks, mm-hmm. um, including the guy who played Omar on The Wire. Yeah. Um, and so it is the premise of the show is that it's the 1950s, and there is this guy, his name's Atticus, and he gets a letter from his father, Montrose, asking him to come back to Chicago because Atticus was away at the war, the Korean war, and he was living down in Florida and he gets to, uh, he gets this letter from his dad saying, you know, Hey, I've been looking into your mom's history and, and Atticus's mom has been dead for a while. And, um, you know, and I found some information out about, about her people and about your birthright. And so he, you know, asked him to come back to Chicago to go with him to investigate. And in the letter, um, Atticus sees that it says something about Arkham and Arkham is something that is very Lovecraftian and so you know Arkham is a place that has to do with madness and that's why you know in, in things like Batman it's like the asylum where the Joker lives it's Arkham Asylum you know yeah. it's like it's this, this place of madness um, but it ends up being that there's like a smudge of ink and his uncle clarifies that it's Arkham Massachusetts not Arkham um, and so his uncle, who is in Chicago, um, is his uncle George is the editor of the Safe Negro Travel Guide, which is like the green book that actually existed, where you had information about different places in the country where black folks could go and get a meal or stay for the night or towns that they should not visit. Because, you know, this is during a time, I mean, there are still towns, unfortunately, in the country who have this, but like, you know, this is a during a time when there were a lot of sundowner towns mm. which basically meant that if you were black and out past sundown they could like anybody could shoot you and it would be fine um and you know that's so like to think about that is just like what <laughs> um yeah. and it's crazy that there's still places that still have these laws on the books even though they may not be like followed or whatever but there are um and so there's there is a side note there was a, a town uh adjacent to the town that i live lived in growing up that there was a bell that would ring at sundown and it was something that everybody was familiar with hearing but did not know the story behind why Mm -hmm. that bell once existed yeah 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 and you you were saying that it's still wrong when you were kids it's just like what (laughs) um yeah we've got a lot of work to do as a country uh but yeah so the so he goes to Chicago and his uncle, like I said, works for the, or is the, the editor of the Safe Negro Travel Guide. And so his uncle travels around the country looking for places to include in his guide. And so he decides to, uh, they, uh, once Atticus arrives in Chicago, 
Um, he realizes that his dad's no longer there. He goes around asking at this bar that his dad frequents, you know, if his dad um, has said mentioned where he was going or anything like that. And they mentioned that he left with somebody in a very expensive looking car. And so he and his uncle decide to go out to Massachusetts, Lovecraft country, because Lovecraft was from the, the East Coast, right? Or he lived in Providence the East Coast. Of, yeah, yeah. And so to head out to Lovecraft country to look for his dad. And um, along the way, you know, we learn certain things that, you know, he and his dad don't have a great relationship, but he's always been close with his uncle George. And so um, one of the things that uh, we hear him say at one point, which is also mentioned in the book, um, is his dad always looked down upon the stories that Atticus liked to read because Atticus loves science fiction. He loves Ray Bradbury. He loves H.P. Lovecraft. He loves all these, these authors. But, you know, a lot of these authors have very problematic content. And so his dad's like, why do you love these people who hate you? And um, so he's having a conversation with his uncle George in the book. Um, and, uh, you know, his uncle George says, it's not as if your father's wrong. He said one time when Atticus was complaining and Atticus says, but you love these stories. You love them as much as I do. I do love them, George agreed. But stories are like people, Atticus. Loving them doesn't make them perfect. You try to cherish their virtues and overlook their flaws. The flaws are still there, though, um, you know, and so that um, it's important to keep that in mind sometimes because it's like, you know, we talk about people like Mark Twain or H.P. Lovecraft or people who had problematic content. And, um, you know, sometimes people turn them into these heroes and I don't think of them as heroes, but I do think that their influence on literature and on stories that we hear today is very important. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, Lovecraft Country is uh it's an interesting show. It uh, it takes a lot of kind of like get out. It takes a lot of the horror. The horror element basically is the experience of black folks in America in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. And there's like a character named Ruby and she has the ability to demorph from being a black woman to a white woman. But she goes through this weird, like very gross transformation in order to do that. Um, yeah, and very, then, very body horror. Yeah, very body horror. And she has a lot of like different experiences and encounters and she ends up having this this experience where she gets to kind of see what it's like for for mixed people because she ends up being in her white person body hanging out with a bunch of other white people at the store where she works because she works at like Macy's or no not Macy's uh Marsha Fields yep. um Chicago and so she works at the store and she's talking with her co-workers and they're talking about the first black woman that's been hired at their store and what they all think about her and um you know she gets to hear the way that white women talk about black women when they're not around, it's like they are, they're awful to her when to her face, but they're even, you know, they, they say even weirder stuff when you're behind closed doors because it's like they want the, the new black woman who started working there to like take them to the South side because they all want to like go out and hang out with black men. And they, you know, it's like, and there's, and she sees that like they both want the black culture and the black experience, but also reject it, you know? And, and so she, um, gets a different a different view on on the whole racial dynamics going on at the time and uh yeah so the show has a lot of very different interesting concepts and like Nick said it comes from from pulp horror, horror and pulp novels and so there's an episode that's very Indiana Jones where mm -hmm. they have to like go to this museum and find all these different clues and there's a lot of investigation and they have to like find a, you know, break certain or like solve certain puzzles in order to get to a certain place and then get this thing so that they can find the next thing. <laughs> like Yeah, so it it has a really, really good balance of, you know, having those really uncomfortable conversations about 
parts of the black experience and then pulling pulling that out for a little while in order to have the action and adventure. So it's like you are learning and being entertained at the same time. Yeah. And one of the things that's really cool about it too is so since it's a woman creator, you also get a lot of like views into what it's like to be a, a woman and and what life is like for women um, as opposed to for men. And a lot of times traditionally, you know, a lot of creators have been men. And so we see their experiences, but we get to see, you know, the world through Ruby's eyes, who's this woman who can go back and forth between the two. We also get to see the world through Hippolyta's eyes and Hippolyta is George's wife. And, um, you know, she at, at one point in the story talks about shrinking herself and having to let go of her dreams and her hopes in order to be a mom and be a good wife and, and you know, what that has meant for her as a person. And, and she ends up, you know, getting sucked into this other dimension where she's able to name herself anything she wants to be. And she ends up, you know, going back in time and going to Paris and then going to Greece and being like a warrior. And, you know, and she does all these things that she wishes she could do with her life, but she wasn't able to because she had to like shrink herself to fit into this package, um, you know, and it kind of addresses that and the unfairness of, of expectations on women and things like that as well. And, and um, yeah, so it's a very multi-layered show. Um, and I've, I've really been enjoying it. It's supposed to have a second season and I'm looking forward to that. And so I started reading the book and the book is by Matt Ruff. Um, and Matt Ruff, uh, it's weird because I thought the book, you know, because I assumed because the show is created by a person of color, I assumed the book was written by a person of color. The book is written by a white guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess he, um, a lot of his stories are influenced by various members of his family. He has members of his family that are from Brazil and he has members of his family that are from like different parts of the, the country in the world. And, um, you know, I appreciate that, but also it's kind of weird reading it because I just started reading it after we finished this, the first season and I'm mm. about a quarter of the way through and I'm enjoying it so far. And it's pretty close to the, the TV show. A few characters' names are different and their gender is different or things like that. And some of the stories, you know, because the show has such a sm much smaller cast, they can't pay all these characters. Mm. Some of the stories are kind of all lumped in together with certain characters on the show that are have more characters in the book. Um, but yeah, so uh, one of the things that makes me uncomfortable, though, is that he uses the N-word and he uses a lot of racial epithets in the book. And, um, you know, this book was written more recently. And, and you know, I, uh, I have feelings about white people using that sort of language to and I know that he's trying to convey a certain time and a certain place and a certain way of being. But it's still, you know, had it been from a creator of color, I probably wouldn't be a, a, an issue for me, but because it's from a white guy, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, but overall, I've been enjoying the book so far. Um, I'm curious to see if it deviates at all from the show and to see where it goes. Um, I really want to see where the show goes because I've been enjoying it a lot. And one of, one of the things when you were talking about the show, also uh, looking at things from a female perspective, mm -hmm. Uh, the classic pulp era uh, from like the 1920s to the 1950s mm -hmm. was all all the authors. Males. And that's when Conan yeah. <laughs> came from. It's all very hyper masculine. Uh -huh. And so to to see all of these different concepts be subverted and turned on their heads is actually very refreshing. Yeah. And one thing I really like, like about the show and she's not the same in the book so far Um and I, again, I think this has to do with the fact that the show's creator is like a, a woman, um, is that there's a character named Letty and she is, um, she's an instrumental part of the show. She is 
one of the people who helps solve a bunch of the, the mysteries mm. and the clues and she, you know, they can't do it without her. Yeah. Whereas in the book, like so far she's not instrumental. It's mostly just following Atticus, Atticus and George and not really like following her, um, which I think is really cool that on the show they've incorporated, you know, the women's perspectives and voices and included them and, and showing them as being like, yes, they are also adventurous. Like, like in the book, the, the, Atticus has a cousin named Horace and he's a boy and he, write, he writes comic books and, you know, he also gets involved in the storyline um, and in some of the horror. And on the show, um, Atticus's cousin is actually named Diana and she's a little girl and she writes the comic books and she, you know, a lot of the same stuff, but instead of it being a boy, the creator yeah. made, decided to make her a girl. And like, and I really like that because, you know, a lot of times in a lot of horror and a lot of, like you said, a lot of like, a lot of genre stuff, especially older genre stuff. Yeah. Um, it was a lot like very male centric. Yes. Um, and as a person who is a fan of science fiction and fantasy, and I've been reading this stuff and, you know, that, that line about stories not being perfect really spoke to me because it's like, I started reading Isaac Asimov and stuff like that when I was little. And like, I love those stories, but it was always weird to read that stuff because it was like, about this future world, but this future world didn't really like talk much about women or talk much about, you know, people of color or anything like that. It was just very like white centric man world. <laughs> and it was like, you know, but I still love those stories. I still love Ray Bradbury. I still love those stories. And, and, you know, and we talked about too, about Dr. Seuss a little bit and the controversy that existed, you know, over that, like recently, um, because some of his stories are problematic. He has a few different books that have very racist portrayals of like Asian folks and black folks. And uh, so his publisher decided to pull a few of those different books. But, you know, Nick is a big fan of, of the Starbelly Snitch story. And I'm, you know, a fan of a lot of his books as well. And like, you know, we gotta, I think sometimes appreciate the contributions that somebody made to literary canon, but like at the same time, it's okay to, to not keep, you know, publishing certain stories. I don't think that's necessarily censorship. You know, I think it's, um, it's just being aware of the harm that is caused by stories and of like, you know, the world being much more multi-layered than it once was portrayed um, because there's so many different experiences and so many different voices that were not included in the main narrative you know, even as, as little as like 20 years ago, yep. you know? So, um, so yeah. Uh, the end is near. I hear a noise at the door as if some immense slippery body lumbering against it. It shall not find me. God, that hand, the window, the window. <laughs> See you in September. All right. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in to this episode of The Short Stacks. Like Nick said, we will see you in September. If you have any questions or comments for our host, you can email us at shortstacks at gmail.com. You can find us on Spotify, Podbean, or iTunes. Uh, and yeah, if you are interested in HP Lovecraft, we have his stories on Hoopla, but you can also, if you do not want to delve into his stuff, you can delve into stuff that he influenced, you know, that's more modern, like and Kate Jameson or the TV show Lovecraft Country um, or a variety of other things. And uh, come into the library and Lisa will give you a book list. Yeah, I can do that. All right. Uh, until next time. Thanks for listening and be well.
The show on Stacks is produced by Lisa Quintero and Nick Barron for the Shore Public Library. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. The song is called Ice Flow and can be found on incompetech.com.